In your copy of God's Word, John chapter 1, we continue on our series, making our way through the book of John. I hope that you have been blessed and benefited by this. I did tell you that when we finished the prologue, we would move a little bit quicker, and today we'll bite off a larger section of the narrative than what we have been doing. If you would allow me to, I would like to read in your hearing this morning, John chapter 1, in verses 19 through 28. John 1, here, God's Word says, And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Who art thou? And he confessed, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And our old King James says Elias, and that's just a Greek rendering of the, of the Old Testament name Elijah. So don't let that fool you. That means Elijah. What then? Are you Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou the prophet or that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, Then who are you? Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet, his sandals, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, or Bethany, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. I want to speak today on the thought of a voice in the wilderness. Obviously taken from the very words of John the baptizer himself. Verse 23, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now the Christian music group Casting Crowns has a song entitled Nobody. It's one of my favorites. If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to get familiar with that song. I don't know that it would be all that suitable for corporate worship, but it is theologically true and it is uplifting. I love to listen to it. But if you're unfamiliar with it, let me share the chorus of the song. And here's what they sing. I am just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody that saved my soul. Ever since he rescued me, He gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. And what we'll learn about John the Baptist today is very much like the chorus of that song. Where John the Baptizer would say, I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody all about somebody that saved my soul. When asked, John, who are you? John says, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Or John might say, I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. The baptizer, John, never wanted the spotlight on him, but on Jesus of Nazareth. 
And in this text, John is confronted by this religious envoy from Jerusalem asking him who he is and what are you doing and who gave you the authority to do it? And John affirms without any hesitation and with great humility, I am not the Christ. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, pointing people to the Messiah King. May this passage serve as an example for us, and I think it should be, on how to witness to who Jesus is and how to point people to Jesus and not focus attention on ourselves. But instead, this church and every born-again believer here should be a voice in the wilderness pointing lost souls to the Messiah King. The truth, friends, the truth is this. It really matters very little if the world ever knows our name. But it matters immensely whether or not they know who Jesus is. So I ask, are you willing to be like John, a voice in the wilderness of this world? Are you willing to be a nobody for Jesus, pointing everybody to somebody who can save their soul? Are you willing to be a voice telling men and women and boys and girls about Jesus of Nazareth? What a privilege, really. Not a chore, not a burden, not a gruesome task. What a privilege it really is to be able to be a voice in the wilderness of this world telling others of Jesus. I want to look at this conversation that's found in this narrative. In fact, I, I, I began my notes by calling it a, a conversation. And then I said, well, we might call it a confrontation. But then I said, it might best be termed an interrogation. Because in a sense, that's what it is. In this passage, there are a series of questions brought to John. In fact, if, if you went through your Bible and underlined or circled or highlighted all of the questions asked to John, you would see this is an interrogation. There are eight, give or take, questions asked John in this brief little narrative. And how John responds to these questions, to this confrontation, is of utmost importance. Now, I need to say this. The events of this passage take place some six to eight weeks after John baptizes Jesus. Now, I'm going to say that again because sometimes I know I listen to preaching and our minds roam and our thoughts scatter and I get that. Let me say that again, okay? This event, this interrogation, the coming of these, this religious envoy takes place probably about eight weeks after Jesus is baptized by John. And the truth is, we're really not even going to get into that today, but you need that background information. You need that detail. You need that so that when we move forward and Verse 29 says, the next day, it makes more sense to you. It makes more sense. But this is a detail you need to know as you read or move forward in the narrative. But what happens in this passage? And let's ask this. And why does John the Apostle, why does John the Apostle tell us about this? 
why does John, and it's easy to get them confused, I, I try to say the apostle and the baptizer to keep them straight. You don't want to get both your Johns mixed here. But why does John the apostle, why is he telling us this? Why does he record this confrontation for us? I hope by this point you're ready to say, I know the answer to that. These things have I written unto you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ on either side of you and that by believing... You may have life through his name. That's why this is recorded for us. John the Apostle wants us to know, here's what happened, and listen to this. He is calling John the Baptist, the Apostle is calling the Baptist to the witness stand as the first eyewitness of who Jesus is. In fact, if you look at verse 18, and this is the record of John, that word record is the exact same word that is used in verse 7. The same came for a witness, to bear witness. It's the same word, and it means to give testimony. It is judicial evidence. It is John the Apostle, as it were, calling John the Baptist to the witness stand, to say, tell us what happened. Give us the details of what went on. And John the Baptist does this, gives us information so that John the Apostle can write it down so that we can later read it in order that we would know who Jesus is. This is John the Apostle using the life and ministry of John the Baptist as eyewitness testimony to who Jesus is. And in verse 19, if you'll look, this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, The, the leaders trying to decide well, how much to say. This is one of the hard things. The Jewish Sanhedrin was composed of 70, 71 Jewish religious leaders. And I'm telling you some of this because you'll need to know more of it as we move forward in John. The civil magistrates, religious leaders, the top of the top, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the Sanhedrin. And they had a vested interest in what was going on in the nation. And word gets out about this guy named John who was out baptizing people in the Jordan River. And they need to know what's going on. And, and we don't know. I, I, I wondered about this. How long John's ministry has been going on? I say a minimum of six months maybe longer he's been doing this before Jesus' ministry begins. But he's been doing it long enough that he's got the attention of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. The Sanhedrin is composed of Sadducees and Pharisees, the top of the top, okay? And John the Baptist has drawn enough attention that they send some of their underlings, priests and Levites, some 20 plus miles from Jerusalem to where John is baptizing in the River Jordan. I say this and I'm not bragging. I've had the privilege of being there in verse 28. It says Bethabara. Some translations say Bethany, but it's noted that it is beyond, the, beyond Jordan. I've been to that area, and it is a wasteland. It is a wilderness. There's nothing there except sand and rocks in the River Jordan. And these religious leaders from Jerusalem catch word that John is doing this, so they've got to figure out what's going on, but they're not going to go themselves. They're, they're too high and mighty in their religious snobbery to go themselves. 
So they send some of their underlings to hike that arduous journey 20 miles into the wilderness, into nowhere, to ask John, who are you and what on earth are you doing? And I really think, what makes you think you have the authority to do what you're doing? Don't you know we're the authority in, in, in Israel? I think that's really what this is, this is about. And understand, John has been immensely successful. He was commissioned by God to do what he is doing. He's baptizing. He's preaching repentance, telling people, turn away from your sins, trust in Christ, be baptized in a ritual cleansing, prepare yourselves for the coming Messiah. And he's, done, he's been successful enough that he actually has some of his own disciples. John had disciples, followers of his. And so they come, these Levites, priests, they come to John and to ask him this series of questions. And what we have in this, in this text is just, it is a historical account of a conversation that took place in which John the Baptist says, don't worry about who I am, let me tell you who Jesus is. That's what it really is. And I, I tried to come up with some clever titles, and I always try to give you some, some points in my message to sort of hang your thoughts on. But today we're just going to number some of these questions and their answers. First question, verse 19, the close of verse 19. Who are you? And John's initial replies are negative. Let me tell you who I am not. Who I am not. Verse 19, who are you? Verse 20, his answer. He confessed and denied not. He was clear. That's what that means. He, he didn't want any ambiguity about this. He confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, many of us may know this, some may not. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos, and it is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. That's what it is. God had promised to ancient Israel that Messiah would come. This conquering, redeeming king would come. They didn't know when he was coming. They didn't know what his name was going to be. There was they, there were some details they did have, even, even though they they generally they ignored it where he was going to be born and what he would actually do. They missed a lot of that. But nonetheless, Israel as as a people were looking for Messiah to come. The word means the anointed one, anointed, anointed by God, anointed not just Jesus, not just, by, not just by holy oil, but by the Holy Spirit, anointed by God, empowered by God. And so they say, are you the Messiah? I guess that's what they say. The text doesn't actually even record them saying that, but John just says, let me get this out in front. I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. He is coming. I'm here to, to tell you about Him, to point you to Him, but I'm not Him. So that leads to the second question. Verse 21. And they asked them, What then are you Elijah? Well, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? And that may be something of a strange thing to ask in our minds. Why on earth would they jump from point A to point Z? Why would they go from Messiah to Elijah? Well, I want you to turn back with me. And I'm actually we're going to use our Bibles a little bit today. I want you to look back to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. 
And I, I mentioned this earlier in a message, but we're going to work our way through it a little bit today. Why on earth did they say, okay, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? Well, you know that in the Old Testament, Elijah didn't have a natural death. He was scooped up by a chariot of fire and taken up into heaven. So he didn't naturally die. Some Jewish leaders, some Jewish teachers actually taught that, a, that the real, literal, and can we say reincarnate, even if he didn't die, reincarnate Elijah would come back. Physically, literally, Elijah. And they did that because they misunderstood something. In Malachi chapter number 4, and again, we're going to have to just pick some verses and and grab. Malachi 4 verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh, of the Lord. He will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to the fathers, unless I come and smite earth with a curse. Do you see that in Malachi 4, verse 5, where Malachi, now listen, he's the last prophet of the Old Testament. God shut up the windows of heaven, didn't send any prophet for 400 years, and one of the last words that Israel gets from a prophet of God is that I'm going to send Elijah before that coming and terrible mighty day of the Lord. I'm going to send Elijah. And so they thought, well, if he's not Messiah, is he Elijah reincarnate? Is this literally Elijah? And the answer is, don't let me confuse you, yes and no. He's not. Elijah incarnate, reincarnate. But he is like Elijah. Let me take you to a text to talk to you a little bit more about that. Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter 11. You just hold your fingers in your Bibles. We're going to turn a little bit today in some text. Matthew 11. And again, we just got to grab a few verses. Otherwise, we'll, we'll be here till way past lunchtime. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. Matthew eleven thirteen. for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Look at verse 14. Listen, and if you will receive it, Matthew eleven fourteen. this is Elijah. Now he's talking about John the Baptist. And he's saying, if you have ears to hear, if you have discernment, If you will receive what I'm saying, John the Baptist is Elijah. He is. In other words, he is the fulfillment of what Malachi said. Malachi prophesied, which was to come. To back that up just a little bit, you can look with me at Luke in chapter number 1. Luke chapter 1, you remember the angel Gabriel comes to John the Baptist, to his father, Zacharias, and tells him you're going to have a son in your old age and he's going to be this and that and this and that. But Luke, chapter number 1, there's a lot of things that are said about John the Baptist, but notice this. Luke 1, 17, this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, and he says, Luke 1, 17, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's exactly what we read in Malachi 4. Exactly. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient, the wisdom, the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So they say, are you Elijah? And John says, I'm not Elijah. But he is like Elijah. Jesus himself says he is likened to Elijah. He is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy that Elijah would come. And what they should have gotten from this, listen, what these Levites and priests should have heard is when he says, I am not Elijah. But later on, it is revealed that he is the fulfillment of Malachi that should have told them, 
that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is God. But they miss that. I'm not. He dressed like Elijah. He spoke boldly like Elijah, but he's not Elijah. But he did come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And if I think you've got to hear this as well. And like Elijah, John called the nation of Israel to repentance. And when they did repent, he baptized them in the Jordan. Or at least when they showed evidence of repentance. But then notice also, okay, are you Elijah? Verse 21, he says, I am not. Are you then the prophet? Uh, Our text says that prophet. I think the prophet is a better rendering of that. I'm not going to take you there, but Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18. God says to Israel, I'm going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses, but better than Moses. What did Moses do? He led the people in their exodus from Egypt. Jesus is a greater than, better than, and in fact this exodus language is sprinkled through here and it ties back to what we studied last week, but Jesus, the prophet, is leading his people to a better exodus than Moses. Listen, he says, are you the prophet? And, and they are, they're quoting Deuteronomy. Where God said he will send a prophet but like unto Moses, but better than. Acts chapter 3, Peter says that Jesus is the prophet. That prophet that God promised. Peter preaches in Acts 3, 22. You can look at that and see Jesus is the prophet. But hear this. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. But can I tell you about that prophet? Moses led you out of captivity from Egypt and into the promised land, but a better prophet than Moses has come, who has led an exodus not from the bondage of Egypt, from the bondage of sin, who has taken you out of the captivity of Gentiles and foreign powers, he is leading you away from that captivity of of darkness and the dominion of sin and Satan to lead you in a better exodus to a better promised land to enter into a, a greater Canaan. This is what Jesus has come to do. John, I'm not the prophet, but I can tell you who he is, and I can tell you what he'll do. He'll do more for you than Moses could. Tie that back together with what we just read last week about the the exodus and the giving of the law. That language, it is all through here. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Well, then third, the third time, and, and there are more questions than this. This is just how I am I'm numbering them in verse 22. Seriously, man, who are you? (laughs) Listen, the third time they say, who are you? We have got to give an answer to the people who sent us. We can't go back to Jerusalem without an answer. We need to know something. You say you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, You're not the prophet who was to come. Who are you? Look at his answer. Verse 23. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of Yahweh. (laughs) I'll get there. Give me just a minute. The way of the Lord. He has said negatively, I am not, I am not, I am not. Now he affirms positively, let me tell you who I am. And his answer is a humble, meek answer. 
But wait a minute. It is also a scriptural, biblical, prophetic answer. I am the voice. I am a voice. I am a mouthpiece. That's what he's saying. I'm a spokesperson. I'm here in the behalf of. I, I think you could understand it like this. Jesus, I'm sorry, John the Baptist is saying, I'm Jesus' point person. Jesus' point person. I'm here to point you to Jesus. When they say, who are you? He affirms, now, let me tell you who I am. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, if you would, look back with me to Isaiah chapter number 40. And I want you to see why John answers this way. And again, it may seem strange. John, why on earth would you say I'm a voice? Well, look at Isaiah 40. It'll tell you why he says this. Now, when you get to Isaiah 40, look, at, look up here. I want, you to, I want you to follow me just a minute. Isaiah 40 is about the people of God seeing the glory of God. Isaiah 40 is a promise that the people of God will see the goodness and glory of God. Okay? Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And you, every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain will be made low. The crooked will be made straight. The rough places will be plain. Look, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. John, who are you? And John says, I will tell you who I am. I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Or, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. What we have in Isaiah chapter 40. I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. That voice that Isaiah said would be crying in the wilderness. Where is John? He's in the wilderness. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare for the coming of Yahweh. You're going to see the glory of God. You're going to see the goodness and majesty and glory of the Lord. Do you get what John is saying? John is saying, listen, you cannot miss this. In Isaiah 40, where you see, Lord, I have said this ad nauseum. I know I wear you out. When you see in your Old Testament the proper name of God, Lord, in all caps, like it is in Isaiah 40, it is the tetragrammaton, it is the four letters, Y-H-W-H, or Y-H-V-H, sometimes translated as Jehovah. I think Yahweh is better. In other words... Isaiah says there's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness saying prepare the way for Yahweh for the I am self-existent God. And John says I am that voice in the wilderness crying prepare the way for Yahweh the self-existent God. In other words, John the Baptist is saying Jesus of Nazareth is Yahweh God. That's who he is. John the Apostle, why have you written these things? I've written these things that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through His name. And now he records where John the Baptist says, I'm the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. I am that voice crying in the wilderness. And I am saying to you, prepare to meet Yahweh in the face of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he is saying. 
And that is some rich stuff, my dear brothers and sisters. That's why I say to you, stuff gets lost in translation. It just happens. And that's why I say you got you to, if you're not reading different translations and versions and getting a hold of different things, not all of them are great, but if you, if you miss that, you're missing a big, rich nugget right there. That John is absolutely affirming that Jesus of Nazareth is Yahweh God. I am here to say, prepare for the coming of Yahweh. And here he comes. The next day, John says, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. In other words... Because I'm here, I'm this voice, that means that Messiah is coming. Because I'm the voice that Isaiah prophesied that would say, prepare the way. And that language is, is, is a little bit foreign to us, prepare the way, make straight the way. And, and it is pretty simply this, clear the road, get out the way, the king is coming. Let every mountain be laid low. Fill every pothole. You know, when a, when a triumphant king was returning from battle, they would clear the way. You didn't want the king's chariot getting stuck in the mud. So they would make straight. They would prepare the way, the entrance way, for the coming of the king. And that's what John says, I'm doing. You need to prepare your hearts. I'm saying prepare your hearts for the coming of the triumphant king. Make straight. Get ready. Prepare yourselves. Messiah, Yahweh, King is coming. And if you'll stop just a minute and think, there is enormous humility in John the Baptist. At any point along the way here, he could have said, you know what? I am somebody. If John the Baptist had been like many modern day preachers, he would have poked his chest out a little bit, took a big gulp of air and said, can I tell y'all how many people I've baptized? Can I brag on how far my ministry has reached? People are coming from all over Judea, Galilee, and all over Israel to hear me preach. But listen, I'm a nobody that's trying to tell everybody all about somebody. That's what John is saying. When given the opportunity to declare, who are you? I'm just a voice pointing you to the word. I'm just a voice. You ever heard somebody share their testimony? And when they do, they want to talk more about what they did for Jesus and what Jesus did for them. When, when the, it's all about me and I, and I did this and I did that, and God wanted this and God tried that, but ultimately it was me. I'm concerned about that kind of testimony, just to be candid with you. A good testimony is going to begin and end with Jesus and what he's done. And I think we find a wonderful, humble example in John the Baptist when given the opportunity to say, who are you? I'm nobody. But can I tell you who Jesus is? Can I tell you who he is? I'm just a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare your heart for the coming king. Repent and receive Messiah. Back in verse 24, we learn a little more detail. And, and this is not unnecessary filler. When you're giving eyewitness testimony, you want some detail. When somebody's called to a witness stand, you don't want them just talking in broad generalities, but when they can give you specifics about where it happened and when it was and who was involved, it is more credible testimony. And that's what we see in verse 24. And they which were sent, those priests, Levites, the underlings from the religious upper echelon, were sent from the Pharisees. And if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, that, that name means separated or separated ones. There were some 6,000 Pharisees in that first century during the time of Christ. They were the governing power. They were part of the Sanhedrin, but they were the strict legalist 
hard-nosed, callous, cold, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. And the truth was they weren't actually keeping the law. They just thought they were keeping the law. They loved their traditions and they hated Jesus. <laughs> they loved their traditions and they hated Jesus. Now, not all of them, thank God, some were saved, but they were, and these Pharisees were constant opposition to the life and ministry of Jesus. So verse 24, just some detail. In fact, verse 19, this is the record. Verse 24 gives you detail. Verse 28 gives you detail where it was. So this is not random filler. But then notice fourthly, verse 25, here's the next question. The fourth question, verse 25. And they asked him, said unto him, Why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? Why are you doing what you're doing? But I think really to get at the heart of that, what makes you think you have the authority to do what you're doing? If you're not the Christ, if you're not the promised Messiah, if you're not Elijah, and if you are not the prophet, what gives you authority to do what you're doing? And John gives what, what I think could be best, best summarized as a half answer, a partial answer. Because what he just said, all he'll reply is, I am baptizing. But that's really not important. <laughs> look, at, look at the text. Look at his answer. John answered him, verse 26, I baptize with water, but can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> he is not interested in the spotlight or focus being on him. Verse 26, part B. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. And it would be easy to read past those words without giving them the weight they deserve. Jesus is there. The Messiah is there. The prophet is is there, and listen, and they don't know him. Those are, in fact, some of the most harrowing words in the Bible. Jesus is there. Jesus is real. He is Yahweh. He's the Son of God. He is the Christ. He's the Anointed One. He's the Messiah, and you don't know him. And the problem with our world today is there all kinds of religious people, but they don't know Him. They think they can earn heaven by their religious activity and the keeping of the law, but they don't know Him. Unless we just point our fingers around, let us also think, but can you say, but I know Him. Do you? Do you know Him and the power of His resurrection? Do you know Him to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Yahweh God, the Eternal Son of God, the Incarnate Word? Do you know Him? John says, yeah, I'm baptizing, but, but do you, Jesus is here and you don't even know Him. You're looking at me. I'm nobody. Don't look at me. Go to Him. Which is why verse 29, He says, I can't preach next sermon, Behold the Lamb of God. There he is. Why are you talking to me? You need to go to him. And the lesson in that is, is in humility and in boldness, given the opportunity when people ask us, who are you? What makes you what you are? Why are you doing what you're doing? Can I tell you about Jesus? I'm a Christian, but can I tell you about, can I just be a voice in the wilderness pointing you to the Lamb of God? Verse 27, we miss this because of the disconnect in, in, in culture, society, and, and the way things have changed. He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me. Same language we just looked at. He is, 
He is of greater authority than I am. Verse 27. I am not even worthy. Look at that. To loosen his shoestrings. I'm not worthy to take the sandals off his feet. Now, again, I say we miss some of this. You had a rabbi or a teacher who had pupils or disciples. And those disciples were required to take care of their rabbi or their teacher. They had to cook for him, clean for him. They had to be his gopher and run errands. They had to do anything pretty much that the the rabbi instructed them. But a disciple could not be forced to do the menial task of a house slave. Only the lowliest slave. I hope your mind's running forward a little bit. On the, only the lowliest servants were required to bow down at the feet of someone, take their shoes off, and wash their feet. Which, if you're not getting this, is what Jesus did in the upper room. <laughs> and John says, I am not even the lowliest servant. I am not even, I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off. I am beneath the lowliest slave. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. <laughs> you coming to the wrong one. You need to be coming to him. This is humility. This is humility. This is humbleness, meekness in, in John. His life, John's life, wasn't all about John. Listen to me. Christian, if you are a born-again believer, we've got to get our minds around this. Our life isn't all about us. It's about him. And we should see ourselves like John did, that we are unworthy servants. We're not even worthy to be his servant. I'm not even worthy to take the sandals off of the feet of the Savior. I am who I say I am. I'm sorry. I am who He says I am. I can't get into this, but there's something to be said for John finding his identity in who Scripture says he is. Now, I can't get too far into that, but in a world that can't identify, don't, don't know where to get their identity, you need to get it from God. But I can't get into all of that. But our lives are not about us. Or can I say it like this? Who, who do you think you are? That you're out baptizing people. John's answer, I'm nobody. But the one who sent me has all authority. <laughs> he has all authority. And then verse 28 is that final detail. Where this took place. In Bethabara or Bethany, some translations. Either way, it is not to be confused with the Bethany that is near Jerusalem. This is 20 or more miles away from Jerusalem. 20 hard miles on foot away where John was immersing. That's what the word baptized means, but we'll pick that fight another day. Where John was baptizing. So again... Verse 28, there's eyewitness information, eyewitness detailed information, so that it is undeniable. This is what took place. A couple of quick thoughts. John the Baptist was a bold man, but he was also a humble man. He didn't brag on himself. He didn't talk about how powerful his preaching was. He didn't talk about how the reach of his ministry, how many people he baptized, how many disciples he had. He didn't do any of those things. That didn't matter to him. What mattered to him was being faithful to his calling. And then finally, I've sprinkled this throughout. But friends, we live in a world of darkness, dominated, governed under the control of God, but governed by the power of darkness, 
Or, let me say it like this. We live in a wilderness. This world is a wilderness. And we have been called upon to be a voice in the wilderness. Pointing people to the Lamb of God. To the Son of God. Each of us individually, those of us who are believers, should serve as a voice in the wilderness. This church should corporately serve as a voice in the wilderness. Are you willing to be a voice? Do you have that meekness and that holy boldness To be a voice in the wilderness? Brother Bob Jones, sweet, gracious man, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but Brother Bob was right. If you don't go and you don't sow, you're not going to grow. We have been called upon to be a voice individually and as a church in the wilderness. Jesus is the divine Son of God who came to this earth, lived a perfect life. It is God in His Son that reconciles sinners to Himself. Lived, died, rose again so that we could enter into the presence of God. These things have I written unto you. At that little seminar I was at a couple of weeks ago, They said, when you're teaching through a book or something, do you bring back to the people's mind the main theme? And I said, ad nauseum. I want it right there all the time. These things have I written unto you that you may believe. I close right where I began. I think John was saying, I think we should say, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody that saved my soul. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I think that was John's voice in the wilderness. God bless.